it took four months for me to, you know, between when I applied and when I got the job, but I feel like it has been in the works for five years. And that's a really encouraging thing to be able to see those pieces come together. You know, if I hadn't watched the baby, I may not have been miserable enough to be thinking about other things than if I hadn't <laughs> taken that year when I turned 30 to be brave, then I definitely wouldn't be where I am. You're listening to the Upside Down Podcast, a place for unscripted conversations on life and faith. Join us as we discuss what it looks like when Jesus turns our lives upside down. Hey guys, Christy James here, interrupting my own episode, which is totally something I'm allowed to do. We have a request. I have a request. So I'm breaking in. We have a specific need that we are hoping that maybe our Upside Down tribe could step up and meet. Lindsay Wallace is one of our co-hosts. I'm sure you guys are familiar with her. If not, go back a couple episodes and listen to hers first. She and her family live in Miami, and they work with an organization called Interchange. They moved into their neighborhood to live there intentionally, to model family, to invest in that community. They're doing some really amazing things, which you can learn more about on her website. They are living in a house that I've heard her talk about has been an amazing fit for their family. It's exactly where they want to be. They've been renting it, and now they have the opportunity to buy it. But to do that, they need to close a little bit of a financial gap that's been left open due to some adoption costs. So what I'm asking you to do is to consider going over to Lindsay's website, which is lightbreaksforth.com. Click on the Miami tab, and you'll see a little sentence at the top that says, if you're looking for a place to give, click here. Head over there, and I was thinking that if, based on our normal listens, if everyone who listens donates between $25 and $50, obviously you can donate more. But if we did that, I think we may be able to close up a pretty good chunk of the gap that they need to be able to get the loan that they need to be able to buy the house. Now, here's the thing. Lindsay and her family live their, live lives of downward mobility. And what that means, in their case, they raise support that they live on, and they don't raise more than they need. They're not looking for more than it requires for their family to live on a day-to-day basis. And so what happens is when you find yourself with a need that's greater than what you've, you've raised already, you have to go back to the church and ask the church to be the church and step in and meet that gap for you. So that's what I'm asking our people to do. Head over to Lindsay's website, lightbreaksforth.com. Click on Miami. Click on Go Here to Give and make a donation. All right, and now back to our episode. While you guys do that, I'll be nursing a vulnerability hangover. Hope you guys enjoy. Welcome to this episode of Upside Down, a podcast on unscripted conversations on life and faith. Today, we're taking another break from the norm and giving you guys a bonus episode that will hopefully let you know one of our hosts a little bit better. So be sure to subscribe. So they're delivered to you when we release them. And as always, we really appreciate your ratings and five-star reviews. (laughs) 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 And we ask for those reviews just so other people can find us. That's just really the best way to get our names out there. We don't do any special advertising or anything. So a review and a rating goes a long way. And for all of you that have given us Uh, reviews and ratings. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. So I am Kayla Craig and with me today is Lindsay Wallace and we are going to be talking to Christy James. So (laughs) before we dive into the to the tough questions we're gonna do a fun little game that we like to call rapid fire. So Christy to start it all off are you a city girl or a country girl? 
I would say city girl, but I have never lived in a huge, huge city. It's more that I like the urban feel and the thought of being out in the country country makes me feel almost more claustrophobic because I need to be around people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the same way. I've never heard anyone else. Mm-hmm. I've never heard anyone else say that being in the country makes them feel claustrophobic. Yeah, man. It's like it closes it, in on me. Yes. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So are you, are you a thinker or a feeler? So according to Myers-Briggs, I'm a feeler. You're, mm-hmm. For if I'm an ENFP, the F is the feeler, right? I don't. I just don't have a great understanding for what that means, because I, yeah. So I, I guess technically I'm a feeler, but I, I think I'm a thinker too. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so are you? If you have your choice, do you like to go sweet or savory? I was basically all out savory until I got pregnant, and then it kind of turned on my sweet tooth, which I regret all the time. Um, so I still, I feel like I'm kind of getting back to being more of a savory person. I just don't feel great when I eat a lot of sweet stuff, but you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, getting into the fall when you've got Halloween candy and pumpkin pie and all this kind of stuff. So we'll see how it goes. I don't know, but mostly savory. Right. So do you like to sing or do you like to dance? Hmm. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I um I sing all well, the time. Well, we like to sing cuz yeah. sung on the podcast. Right. A of times. Yeah. I know. It just happens. I'm the kind of person, yeah, I think Kayla you mentioned this once too, like you sing to your kids a lot, like seeing what you're doing. I do that all the time. They do it back to me. But I also I dance a lot. I've been going to dance classes a couple times a week as like kind of my main exercise. So that's all fun and games until you're at, I was out doing mini golf with another fam, our family and their family. We were out celebrating a six-year-old's birthday and one of the songs from one of my hip hop classes came on <laughs> and I was like, I mean, it turned me into like a three-year-old again where I was like, duff, duff to my husband. I was like, watch, I know a dance to this song. And I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> nothing has changed. I am still the like nine-year-old on the stage in my sparkly sequin vest trying to perform (laughs) (laughs) and I fell too because it turns out dancing in boots is not the same as dancing in a studio in tennis shoes (laughs) I can just see that in my mind playing out yeah what was what was Duff's reaction to that I don't know that he really even saw what was going on because (laughs) he was you know there were seven kids there between the two families all between the ages of 10 and 2 and so he was actually trying to kind of teach some of the kids how to like hold the golf club and stand properly. And I'm, this is very typical. I'm like, Hey, watch me dance. You know? <laughs> so I don't know that he really saw what was going on. I, if anything, he, you know, kind of looked over and was like, what are you doing? <laughs> and that's like about when I fell. So it was, it was classic Christine nice. Duff. Yeah. <laughs> So, Lindsay, do you have any extra rapid-fire questions you want to fire at Christy? Oh, extra ones. Do we know what you studied in college? Did it have to do with writing? No. So I I majored in psychology, oh. and I minored in French and religious studies. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, I went to a small liberal arts college in Indiana, and um, I I would have, you know, it's interesting to look back 
I would have taken a writing class, but I swear at all of my friends that studied English writing, you had to do creative writing as one of the entry-level classes, and mm-hmm. they would come back, and I just felt like all they were writing about was being naked. <laughs> and I was like... <laughs> Okay, I was an English minor. I take offense. (laughs) Well, I mean, maybe it was just the people I was talking to, but I was like, I can't do that. I don't want to do that. So that's basically why I avoided the writing department. That and the like, the criticism, like the you know, the red pen critique is just something that I don't know that I was ready for. So right. So you've mentioned Indiana before. Are you a Hoosier? I. Sort of. My parents are both born and raised Hoosiers. Everyone okay. else, my siblings were all born in Indianapolis, but I was actually born in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So I have complicated, I don't really know how to answer okay. that. I lived in yeah. Indiana for about half my life. Okay. Mm-hmm. Me too. Oh, cool. Really? <laughs> mm-hmm. Just a couple of hours south of Indy. Which, like in near, like on the other side of the river from Louisville? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. Interesting. I had Small cousins that lived down there, like in the Corridan area. Yeah, mm-hmm. we lived. My dad still lives in Georgetown. Wow. Like the exit up from Corridan. Yeah. How funny. Yep. Small world. Mm-hmm. So, Christy, you, we've talked a little bit about your husband Duff, and we mm-hmm. have all been kind of asking this question. Tell us a little bit about how you guys got together. What was mm-hmm. your first date? Hmm. Good question. So. When we met, I was an intern with the youth group at a church in Columbia, South Carolina, and he was an associate pastor on staff. And so we had a lot of friends in common. We had sort of, a friend of mine had actually mentioned him before we met, before I had even moved to Columbia and kind of said, I think you're going to be interested in Duff. And I was like, uh... These Southern people and their names are so strange to me. What kind of name is Duff? Like, where's Jason or Scott? Um, so, <laughs> I know. So anyway, so I, I, he was kind of, I, I was interested to meet him just because my friend had mentioned him. He's about eight and a half years older. And so I, you know, didn't really give a whole lot of thought to the potential of a romantic relationship there. So we met, we hung out, you know, with different friends that summer. And I remember... I was living with a woman, um, an older woman at that time who just, you know, she was great. And I remember standing in the kitchen with her one day and she was like, I think you like Duff. And I like pulled my shirt up all the way, like over my face to my forehead and was like hiding, (laughs) trying to be like, I can't, I'm not ready to say these words out loud. So one day we were in the office and I had a friend who was going through something that was kind of hard and he came over and was ask you know was asking me about it and I was asking him some pastoral questions and he was like well if you ever want to get coffee and talk about it more I'd love to do that and I was like yes so I was like <laughs> one of us was like how about tonight and the other one was like sounds great so yeah we had plans to get coffee that night and I was um, I remember scrambling around the kitchen trying to figure out what I was going to eat for dinner because we were just getting coffee and he texted me or I think he probably called me and was like, Hey, have you had dinner? Why don't we just get dinner too? So we went to get dinner and we got coffee. And I remember, I mean, we had spent enough time together that we knew each other well enough. It wasn't like we needed to go on several dates to decide if we wanted to date. It was kind of like, Mm -hmm. if we're going to do this, then this is probably going to be. So we had that conversation over coffee where I was, I remember kind of looking down in my mug and he was like, 
well, I really, you know, really enjoyed getting to know you. I'd like to get to know you better. And, you know, said a couple other things and I was all kind of spaced out. And I was like, wait, I think that was it. I was like, what did you say? <laughs> so anyway, we, we basically, Aww. that's how we started dating. And yeah. how long have you guys been married? Eight years. It'll be, is that right? Oh, shoot. Um, yeah, eight years. <laughs> yes, it'll be nine. Sorry to put you on the yeah, spot there. I'm really bad at remembering that. Eight, eight and a half. So it'll be nine in May. Okay. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of a silly question, but it's kind of fun to find out. What kind of cake did you have at your mm. wedding? So we we got married. This is kind of a, uh, we, had, we got married when Duff was on staff at a really big church. And so... Part of what we had to figure out with that is how are we even going to do that? You know, like, do you invite the whole church do you, or how right. do you decide who That's not so to invite? Hard. It was complicated. So it ended up working out really beautifully. But one of the things we sort of had two receptions, one was sort of for the like everyone. The whole, We did invite the whole church, which was twenty five hundred members. And the, oh, wow. yeah, the women of the church, which is an organization in itself, put on <laughs> a a reception for us at the church. So we had that. And then we threw kind of a second gathering with dancing and drinks and cake. That's where we did sort of the more traditional wedding stuff. And so, right. so the cake was for that. We um, and we were kind of we weren't super. I don't know. We were kind of laid back about some of this. So we thought about not having a cake. And in the end, I asked my friend Janet, who liked to bake. I was like, "Hey, you like to bake? You want to make a wedding cake for me?" And she was like you don't casually make a wedding cake. And so she asked a friend of hers to help. So anyway, I think it was basically, it was like a basic vanilla cake with, I know it had lemon curd in it, but the key was the only request I had was that I wanted cream cheese icing. So mm. it was like, you know, some, some white cake, lemon curd and cream cheese icing. It was, they made a five tiered cake. They like decorated wow. it. They inspired it. Like it, the decorations were inspired by our invitations, which is all like totally over my head. But yeah, it was, it's really beautiful to look back and, you know, look at these two women who are good friends of mine who made this cake for me. Yeah. That's That's very cool. Mm -hmm. So are there some special people in your life, some um, women that have influenced your faith and your faith journey? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was thinking about this earlier today, that woman that I lived with when I, when I was an intern in Columbia, her name is Sarah. And we're not in a lot of contact right now, but it's like one of those things that's totally okay because when I look back, I'm like, I know how much she loved me and cared for me and loved me well. You know, I, I um, am really thankful for the way that she was sort of a surrogate mother when I had just moved away from my own family and finished college. And I'm super thankful. To some I have several pastor's wives that have just been really good friends to me and helped me as I've kind of stepped into that role. I had a, one of our pastor's wives in Columbia was just so good at hospitality. And so when we moved up here to Asheville to plant this church, I would ask myself, what would Anne do? Like I was like told her, I feel like I need to make a print. That's like WWAD. Um, Cause every time I had people over, I would be like, Oh, I need to get a serving spoon out because Anne would do that. Um, so I've had some really great models that I've watched my, you know, my own family. I'm, you know, super thankful that my mom, both both my parents have really shaped my faith Mm -hmm. and I continue to learn a lot about just being a woman and about parenting, especially from them. 
And then, you know, one thing I was thinking about today is that sometimes when I, when I think about that kind of question, I picture people that are older than me, but the reality is I have a lot of peers and a lot of people who are younger than me that Mm. really are brave enough to speak into my life and share truth with me. And so I'm super thankful for those people too. That's interesting, Christy. So going back, you know, talking about your family and your upbringing, how did you view and understand God as a child? And Mm -hmm. how do you think that has shaped how you view him now Mm -hmm. and shaped how you parent your kiddos? Because you are a mom to three Mm -hmm. cuties. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've got three girls. So my parents were relatively new Christians when I was born, which, you know, when you're growing up, you don't think about that. But now that I... I can, you know, I'm the, I'm an age that I remember them being like, Oh yeah. Isn't that so weird? So weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, you know, they were pretty young Christians and I'm kind of, when I look back, I'm kind of amazed. I'm just super encouraged at like how brave they were and, you know, some of the ways that they parented just with, you know, with the gospel in mind. So, you know, I remember Things like, you know, like Sunday school, like memorization charts and little stickers. And I never did well with that. I always just felt like, I I don't care. I don't want candy. I don't really want to memorize this verse. So I wasn't like a rebellious kid on the whole. But when it came to that kind of stuff, it just wasn't really, I don't remember being excited about that. Um, But I did have sort of like a spiritual awareness that I remember you know, pretty young, I knew the mechanics of the gospel. Like I could have said, you know, I'm separated from God by my sin, but he has given Jesus as, as a bridge to bring me back to him. You know, something like that, like sort of like the A plus B equals C. Um, mm-hmm. do I have, I don't know. I have good, like good feelings about growing up in the church. I kind of grew up in, you know, what we look, what we would now call mega church environments um, for the most part. Although we did, like I was baptized at nine in a Southern Baptist church. So yeah, I mean, I have good feelings about all of that, but I would say in high school, young life had a, had a role in making me sort of claim my faith for my own and kind of presenting that to me on my own to, and asking me to respond to it. And so that I, I, it's interesting to live in Asheville now because the first time I remember really like interacting with God in a way that I sort of felt was at Windy Gap, which is right outside of Asheville. Um, like we have people in our church who are on staff there. So it's kind of nice to feel like I'm back in these. Is that a church? No, sorry. It's a young life camp. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, it's a great young life camp. Yeah. It's been around for a long time. So And what is Young Life? Young Life is a ministry for high school students. They also have a middle school ministry called Wildlife. And there are adult leaders. Um, It's kind of based on the idea that you need to go where people are to share the gospel with them. So you don't ask them to change something about them to come to you to talk about Jesus. You go and you care about them. And so you... Um, you go to their soccer games, you go to their plays, you, you know, you have lunch, you go to the school and have lunch with them at school, you meet them where they Mm -hmm. are. And um, you show them that no matter what you care about them, and then you, you, and in all of that, you're communicating Jesus, but then you also do it blatantly at club, which is like a 
weekly gathering where you do, you know, skits and games. And then somebody walks through the gospel and says, you know, you're, you are like, you're a broken person and you don't have to (laughs) pretend like you're not. Jesus knows that. And he loves you and he died for you. So young life had a a good impact on me. And then I would say college is kind of where things really started to get gritty. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> so what, did, what do you mean by that exactly, if you're comfortable sharing? Yeah. So I, my faith was important to me in middle and high school. We, I moved quite a bit, so I moved twice in high school across the country. And I think that that was kind of that sort of isolation. I didn't have like a typical, you know, high school experience mm-hmm. where I was like with the same buddies for the whole time. And I think, you know, when God got me alone like that, he didn't leave me alone. (laughs) And um, so I'm thankful for that. But when I went to college, I, you know, kind of went from being the kid who sort of awkwardly showed up at church because that's what I was supposed to do to within a year just really being well connected with some really, really great Christian friends and non-Christian friends. But I really kind of feel like I hit my stride there. And I was um, invited by some of the older kids to be, I was actually on a skits team. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Another actor. Yeah, I wrote some really bad skits. But um, so I was, you know, kind of welcome to be part of the older kid crowd with that because I was helping with that. And that had a huge impact. But I will say that this is, kind of probably getting into more complicated stuff, but I dated a guy my junior year or sophomore year, I don't know, one of those years, who gave me a book that sort of changed the way that I thought of, kind of changed my understanding of theology. I don't know that I ever really thought about theology before. And so this book was called Putting Amazing Back into Grace. It's by Michael Horton. And it put a lot of pieces of the puzzle into place for me. And at that point, he then broke up with me. awesome and was my, it one of those like Christian breakups like I just really feel like the Lord is uh, you know, like sort of it was it was brutal it was like is a is a defining thing I probably can't get into all of that right now but it was like I like one week I thought we were going to get married and then the next week he was oh. in love with a girl who had a very similar name to me you know halfway across the country so anyway that happened so I was, I was really heartbroken from that. But then my best friends were all studying abroad the next semester. So again, it was sort of this place where I was alone and I was alone with this new, not new, but like this deeper understanding of who God was and who I am and what, and basically the idea that God was coming after me. It wasn't me coming after God. It was him chasing me down. And that flipped everything upside down for me because I was a good kid who you know, did good things. And I felt like God was pretty lucky to have me on his team. (laughs) And I would have never said it that way. But looking back, (laughs) that's basically how I felt. And so it was kind of the first time I started to realize, oh, no, I am actually even in my in my like, good player on the team-ness, I am arrogant. And I'm so when I was kind of flattened by all of that, I, this is actually probably the time when I felt God's nearness the most. And yeah. so it re- that changed. Like I was thinking about, you know, when, what would other people say about like the crucial times in my life that have changed my faith? And I remember my siblings who were five years younger than me. So they were in high school. I remember them saying, yeah, I remember when that happened. You were different after that. So mm-hmm. I think that was 
yeah, definitely a defining experience. And now your husband is a pastor mm-hmm. at a church plant. You guys are church planters. Mm-hmm. Somebody asked on Instagram on our Upside Down podcast, I think it was somewhere on Instagram, on one of our Instagrams, they asked, how do you stay connected to God's word when you're feeling mm-hmm. kind of burnt out or bored or feeling like it's the same old? Like, mm-hmm. what what is helpful for you? It's a great question. I mean, I, you know, I don't have any new answers. (laughs) I don't have like a, you know, stand on your head and try to read it that way kind of thing. I think, you know, it's a balance of recognizing the fact that if it, like that there's nothing new under the sun, you know? And so, um, and yet like if, if we believe that God's word is like his primary means of communicating with us, then I will find, he will find me there and I have a lot to learn from it. So one thing that I would say that I think having like a really broad understanding of the overarching picture of scripture is something that really lights it up for me. So like, mm-hmm. you know, when I'm reading, I had a friend tell me recently, she's talking about John and about how John is written from a Jewish perspective. And when you start to really look into the Jewish traditions that Jesus references or that John references and like points out that the, the the connections that Jesus makes in his words that I would never pick up on, on my own. Mm-hmm. It's mind blowing. Right. Um, or like I've been reading Matthew lately and I, the only note taking that I'm doing is I'm underlining everywhere that it says you have said like in the, mm. in the sermon on the Mount or like in the genealogy where it references um, and kind of in between there where any of the prophecies I'm underlining, like let's connect and let me look back and like, you know, Jesus references, Jesus affirms the old Testament, you know, like he, mm-hmm. he is everything he says is like drenched in it. And so that's been helpful for me lately, just kind of broadening my view and not just looking at Matthew, but looking at Matthew in light of everything else. Right. Mm-hmm. And something I think that has been helpful to me is, um, you know, hermeneutic is a fancy seminary Mm -hmm. word that I'm sure you have heard in your home, but a book called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. I don't know if either Mm -hmm. of you two have read it by Gordon Mm -hmm. Fee, Um, but it's basically saying like the Bible is for everyone, but we need to know how to read it. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of gives you some tools to kind of clear Mm -hmm. up some misconceptions and help you understand the meaning of scripture. So then we can understand the application to Mm -hmm. us now and kind of understanding like who was writing this Mm -hmm. how were they writing it who were they writing it to you know what I mean Mm -hmm. all of those things like the bible is this living breathing document that's you know inspired and um it can seem so boring but Mm -hmm. like Christy like what you were saying that just reminded me Mm -hmm. there's another one I've been reading for an actual year (laughs) um called far as the curse is found and um doesn't sound super uplifting i realize that but and it i mean it's a dense book like there's a reason it's taken me a year but every time i open it i am just like my mind is blown like one of the things that i still keep coming back to is it talks about how um like moses and Ab- like just when you think i think it was abraham like recognizing no moses so moses would bear like the, the distance, the amount of time between Moses, Abraham and Moses is huge. And 
Like we, I think, oh yeah, Moses totally knew everything about Abraham, just like we do. But I'm, you know, he didn't, right. he didn't have, like he knew, he knew enough and the Holy Spirit was working in that. But like, these are basically a bunch of people who like have so, so much less information than we do. Mm-hmm. And yet they are leading people through the sea, you know? And mm-hmm. that's just so comforting to me. Like I love kind of picturing what would it have been like? Like what would have been, what would it have been like to walk my family in the desert? You know, like what would I have been mm-hmm. saying? I would have been complaining a lot. I know that. So, um, that's a book it's by, um, I forget his name, but it's called far as the curse is found. That's good. So you are a mom, you are married to a pastor, but you also have a job as an editor. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I work for a company called P&R Books. It actually stands for Presbyterian and Reformed. <laughs> um, <laughs> and they actually published Far as the Curse is Found, which I did not know when I started reading it. And I also wasn't working for them, so that is an honest recommendation there. It has nothing to do with the company. But, yeah, I, I started working there in June, and it's like my it's the best job I've ever had. I hope I can do it for a really long time. I'm an acquisitions editor for women's titles, which means my job is to bring in new titles and new authors and get those books to market. So yeah, it's, it's, I love it. It's, it's so great even as a writer to be on the other side and to be able to talk to writers about, talk to them about and talk through the process of publishing a book with them. Mm -hmm. It sounds super fun. Yeah, it's great. And how did that come to be? Because your background was psychology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, you know, this is something that I really I want to encourage people with because I, I started writing because I was I had a baby and I needed I don't know like I needed an outlet. I thought blogs were super narcissistic, and then all of a sudden I started one. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I did that, and I was, um, you know, after my baby was born, after Olivia, our oldest, was born, I was trying to figure out how I could contribute to our family a little bit financially. And I was watching another baby and I was miserable. And a couple of my friends were like, why don't you try writing? And I was like, nobody actually gets to do that. And so um, a couple years later, I, I kept blogging basically for my family. Um, and then a few years later, when I turned 30, I was like, you know what? I'm going to take this year and I'm going to take writing seriously and I'm going to see what happens. And at the end of that year, if it's not going well, I'll quit. If it's going well, I'll keep going. And at the end of that year, I was like, yeah, I got to stick with this. I, I don't know how I could function without writing. Mm-hmm. And so um, I I switched my blog over. I started blogging more regularly, started thinking about more strategy and kind of treating it more as a job. And I've gone back and forth with that. But I think that experience as you know, kind of paired with some experience doing some copywriting for marketing companies, which I sought out during my I'm going to be brave about writing year. That all just kind of set me up well to then apply for this job, which I found out about through a friend whose husband is in seminary. The job was posted there. It's a Christian publishing company, obviously. And so when I applied for the job, it was one of those things where I was like, I know that I am qualified and capable, and I, but I don't know if I'll get the job. And I prayed about it a lot. I prayed about it with my hands physically open, <laughs> like... Please help me to not, you know, just have a tight grip on this. I, and, um, yeah, so it was, you know, it's like 
happened with, it took four months for me to, you know, between when I applied and when I got the job, but I feel like it has been in the works for five years. And that's a really encouraging thing to be able to see those pieces come Mm -hmm. together. You know, if I hadn't watched the baby, I may not have been miserable enough to be thinking about other things. And if I hadn't (laughs) taken that year when I turned 30 to be brave, then I definitely wouldn't be where I am. So yeah, thankful for all that part-time right and yeah you do it from home it's part-time and it's from home um I do travel some for conferences which is like my favorite thing and that's awesome I know it's like <laughs> seriously so yeah I was at a one-day conference in Charlotte last weekend and yeah it's been great very cool well Lindsay is there anything else that you would like to ask Christy mm. good question she's on the hot seat <laughs> now's your chance <laughs> uh yeah so I think that we've answered this question. So I'm, I like this one. What What is something that keeps you up at night or, you know, something that you just can't get out of your head or mm. constantly mulling over? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that changes for me, you know, from time to time. I don't know that I feel like I have one specific thing. So I would say right now, I don't know, going back to that Bible thing, like Kayla, you're talking about, I really want people to be able to read their Bibles well. I want them to know what they're doing. And I, as a pastor's wife and a church planter's wife, I feel like I keep, like, the it's the root of so many problems, yeah. so many mistreatment, mm-hmm. like some so, so much of the mistreatment, so much of the fear that we see in the church is because people don't really know how to read their Bibles. They don't really know how to apply things. And, and when I... I know that I know what it has meant for me to pursue that kind of understanding and how beautiful the scriptures, how much more alive they've become. And so that is one thing. And then I think the other thing would be, so then what do we do? You know, how do Mm -hmm. we, how do we avoid being so informed that we like thinking about it, like being theologically obese, you know, how do we Mm -hmm. um, not live our lives like consuming so much information and being so like overweight with all of that we can't ever get out the door or like that we feel like we can't do anything because we don't know everything about this one topic so Mm -hmm. that's that's something that I feel I feel that tension a lot and I'm uh it's one of those things that I feel like I'll look back on and think oh I didn't know a whole lot about it then I know a lot more now but I was doing what I could and that's there are several specific topics that kind of are on my heart with that right now. You know, like what, what do I do about orphan care? What do I do about the poor in my city? What do I do about the racial uh, segregation? That's pretty prominent in Asheville. Mm -hmm. How can I, what can I do? Can I, what, yeah. How do do I get involved? What are the first steps? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so good. Well, Christy, you have given us so much to think about, and it's been really fun to get to learn more about you and your story, because we we know each other, but we don't know all of these ins and outs Mm -hmm. and all these history, so it's been really fun. Mm -hmm. If we want to learn more, where can we find you online? Mm. So I would say I'm most active on Instagram these days, and you can find me at Kristen, K-R-I-S-T-E-N, Ann, A-N-N, James, that's my full name. I'm switching my blog over to kristenandjames.com. But depending on when this airs, you can either find me there or my current blog is andbabiesdon'tkeep.com. Twitter handle is the same as Instagram. So, And I have a Facebook page that's andbabiesdon'tkeep. Very cool. Well, 
Ladies, thank you so much. It's been a great time. And we hope that you guys have all enjoyed listening to getting to know Christy a little bit more. As always, you can find us on Instagram at Upside Down Podcast. You can find us on Facebook, Upside Down Podcast. And be sure to hop over, give us a little review or rating. We're very, very thankful for you guys. And thank you for listening. Gosh, I'm like totally spacing out. Thanks, Johnny, for editing this. (laughs) I was just listening to you guys talk about Indiana. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome. Oops, sorry. (laughs) 